Awesome. All right. Welcome to the first episode of the Muslim POV podcast. I am your host, Numudaris. Along with me is my co-host, Abdullah Habib. And we have a lot of different stories that we want to cover. So let's dive right in. So the first story that we want to cover for today was that Biden bypassed Congress for an ammunition sale to Israel. Um, along with the story essentially is that there is a sale of about 13,000 rounds of tank ammunition that is being expedited to Israel. Uh, and so essentially what Biden decides to do is let's just bypass Congress because I don't want to have to deal with all this mumbo jumbo that I have to go through. Let's just eliminate all the obstacles and get it expedited to Israel so that they can continue uh, destroying Palestine even more than they've already done at this point. Uh, so what are your thoughts about that, Abdullah? Uh, not much thoughts, man. Do you have the story in front of you so you can pop it up? Yeah, for sure. Let's do this right now. Here it goes. Nothing. So this is a New honest, York Times I, I, article. Mm. Uh, here, I'll share the headline and we'll uh, we'll kind of show some of the highlights here. So yeah, so the Biden administration again bypasses Congress for weapons sale to Israel. The reason why it says it again is because he's done that multiple times in the last 80 some days at this point. Um, so as it says over here, if I scroll down a little bit here, it says uh, Israeli strikes and ground operations have killed more than 20,000 people in Gaza. According to the Enclaves uh, Health Ministry, the war started on October 7th. We both know that that's not right. Uh, and so essentially right here, Secretary of State Antony J. Blinken had provided details, detailed justification to Congress that an emergency exists that requires an immediate sale to Israel. Uh, and so along with that story is that it is approximately uh, 13,000, if I'm not mistaken, tank shells that are being um, shared, essentially. Uh, so, yeah. So as you can see over here, I mean, they don't have time for humanitarian help or anything like that. But, you know, they do have time to make expedited sales, right? That's something that they stand for. Um, so, yeah. What, what do you think of this? Is it Do you think it's because they're right now getting wrecked on the battlefield? And the emergency is that they need more weapons or do you feel like it's just one of those things that, you know, the U.S. is just trying to destroy Palestine so they can expedite the mission overall? Um, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting question. So firstly, why Biden is doing it? Uh, I just sent you a clip. You can pull it up. But yeah, for sure. Bro, this guy is clearly a pro-Zionist and... I don't think it's like peers where, oh, is he, you know, with the side, like, is he good? And we just don't know about it. And he has dual intentions kind of thing. Yeah. I think Biden is just a disgusting human being. And um, is this the one that you want me to, to play? I am a Zionist. Yeah, yeah. He said it in the past and he said it again. I know he's made mention of it rap? like a few times now that like, you know. I got in trouble. Israel was very badly there. by the southern part of my state in some of the southern parts just, of the uh, country when uh, 35 years ago I said you don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist and I'm a Zionist. I also recognize your hurt from the silence and the fear and for your safety because the surge of anti-Semitism in the United States of America and around the world is sickening. You know we see it across our communities and schools and colleges and social media. Silence is complicity. As I said after the attack, my commitment to the safety of the Jewish people, the security of Israel, and its right to exist is independent Jewish, as an independent Jewish state is unshakable. Un un oh, I can't even like say a sentence properly without stuttering. <laughs> it's really bad. 
I, I really don't understand how he's still like he's either he's still alive, number one, and number two, like how he's still running the country. Like to me, it's legitimately baffling. Like I'm not saying that the guy's a robot and he's being controlled. Like I don't necessarily believe that, but I do think like he is definitely not fit to be leading at this point in any capacity. Let's be real. Guy is not there. I mean, he literally doesn't make any sense. I think it was the same clip where actually he was talking about like how his father was, uh, you know, uh, like a part of the massacres or something like that, like by accident, instead of saying like mm. a father. And anyways, like he's already made a big mockery of himself. But yeah, it's, to your point. So you're saying that he is a proud Zionist and this is just, you know, coinciding with his support for Israel. Yeah, big time, bro. I think it's funny the, the thing you mentioned. He was mentioning how his dad is in like a certain city in Israel yeah, or whatever, yeah. and his dad had been dead for like twelve years or something. Yeah, yeah it was ridiculous. Something, something really uh, ridiculous like that. It's insane. I mean, look, the reality is like we're starting to see a little bit more of that divide between the leadership and the people, right? It's a very clear divide, and it's uh, getting bigger and bigger as the days go by, especially because of this war. Uh, I mean, I know we, we talked about this previously, but like the idea that Israel and Palestine is probably one of the biggest wedges between the Zionist agenda in all of its time being conducted. Mm. We're talking over 75 years. Um, and it's really, really creating that wedge between the people and their agenda and, you know, the regular people who, you know, like you and I, who are just civilians. Uh, you know, citizens of, you know, U.S., Canada, wherever it may be in the Western world uh, who are waking up to this and are like, hey, this is enough's enough. Like, we don't want this anymore. Right. OK, question for you. Um, I agree with you. There's this wedge. Now, I'm trying to figure out is the wedge that we're seeing. So, you know, we're seeing politicians. We're seeing the people clearly want two different things. Do you think? What our impression is of what people want, do you think that's almost like an echo chamber of, oh, we know everybody in our circle, the Muslims, are all on the same side. We're all anti-Zionist. We're all pro-Palestine. Uh, do you think that's just from the fact that you know we all have more or less the same opinions? So I guess what I'm asking is, when it comes down to the people themselves, do you think the general population, how do you think they feel about Muslims? Honestly, I think there's a diff there's a very big change in the narrative overall. I think people are waking up to the fact that Muslims aren't terrorists, right? This thing that you know has been constantly being fed to uh, us, you know, from a very young age, right? Like this this was the narrative, and the reality is a lot of this stems because of the uh, growth of social media overall, taking over, um, you know, mainstream media which is like, you know, your CNN, your Foxes, which used to be the only vehicle for media or information back in the days, right? So this, and and, and everyone knows it's controlled by the Zionists. Like, everybody knows this. This is like a pretty much a fact at this point, right? Uh, the fact that social media has come in, it's really changed the narrative completely to what we used to see before. I think a lot of people are actually empathizing with Muslims overall, and not just Muslims, but just victims around the world from the colonialist powers so do you do you think that's like anecdotal or do you think the stats because look if we were just to take quebec the province yeah, we live yeah. in obviously they're anti-muslim right big time big time but that's without it it's like france how yeah. they're very anti-muslim they're removing the hijab from public institutes they're saying a lot of racist things etc etc okay so i just sent you a story and this is not in quebec this is in ontario okay 
And I feel like this is very similar to how the U.S. would most likely feel about Muslims. Yeah, you want to pop it up? And yeah, then, let's do that. Um, I've actually seen the same things in the U.K. where they have a much larger population. So this so is it right have here? Like, Muslims offer prayers yeah, 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 blocking yeah. a highway overpass in Toronto. This is not a display of religious devotion. This is a complete display of political power. When it becomes a regular occurrence, it moves away from freedom of religion. They are protesting in malls, blocking roads, threatening death in front of police without consequences. Okay, I think this guy is definitely like part of the uh, the, the Zionist agenda. Or yeah, I mean, let's let's be real. Look, there, look, but look at the traction that post has. It has five hundred thousand likes. No, probably several tens of millions. I mean, five hundred thousand views. It's got one point two likes. Uh, three point six likes. Sorry, one point one retweets. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, look, I understand the idea behind it. Like, it is disruptive. I understand that. Um, but look, I think the overwhelming majority, if you're looking at some of the, the trends from a social media perspective, they're saying, like, you know, anyone from 18 to 25 is growingly be becoming pro-Palestinian and is mm -hmm. very vividly against Israel's agenda and, you know, the state of Israel for the atrocities that they've been doing. So there is definitely a part of the world that is waking up. There is definitely a part of the world or a segment of the world uh, or age, if you want to call it that, where people are empathizing with the Palestinian cause and Muslims overall and seeing the U.S. for the damages that they've caused in the Middle East over so many years and how really they have been the perpetrators many, many times, right? And they, they are the root cause of destabilization in the Middle East for resources, 100% just for economic gain. Um, so so I do see a lot of this, what, what, what you sent me, that's for sure. I definitely have seen a lot of this sentiment where it's like, go back home, stop the protests. It's very disruptive. It's very annoying, all that stuff. But what, and maybe this is a question for you, what else can someone do when you feel so powerless and you literally to our point earlier, see that there's a giant divide between your leaders and yourself and what you want as a citizen. And you literally try to voice it as much as you can through legal means. And time and time again, you get ignored. Like what can people do if not protest at that point and be disruptive? You know, okay, I'm not, uh, I, I, I remember watching something really interesting by Loki. Okay. And he said something like, um, in the UK at least, I don't know about Canada, I don't know about the US, but in the UK, if someone vandalizes and does something illegal to stop the the sale of arms for an illegal means. So for example, someone's doing something illegal, but with the intention of, hey, I'm trying to stop them from breaking the law. Yeah. It's almost like a form of self-defense. Like if you were to pull out a gun to stop someone from killing you. Right. So I guess it's a double negative where if you were to do that, you would actually not be tried and you would be uh, interesting. Would be Despite yeah. maybe the, the, the state themselves uh, twisting the narrative, you think? Like what if they actually tried to, you know, say like what we're doing is not illegal. We're actually just standing for our ally. Like in this case, you know, the, US, the U.S. would say that very clearly or blatantly about Israel, right? Um, so do you think that that would still slip in a court of law? That, so that's, a, that's a really good question. I think the main uh, thing I wonder about is I'm assuming that's always been the case where the state tries to make people who are 
uh, like Malcolm X or uh, what was it, Nelson Mandela. Up until right. a certain point, they were considered terrorists, enemies of the state. And whatever they said, it's only in retrospect when the movement was successful. And then I guess it, it, uh, then you ask yourself, like, how many people tried that kind of thing and it ended up failing? That's but anyways, look, with, yeah. without uh, overcomplicating it, let's say like people like you and I and the majority of people, what can we do? I like the idea of um, boycotting. And besides that, I think one other thing that I don't see enough people talking about is I would look at it almost like a business where a business dies if it doesn't get new customers. It can only survive for so long on its existing customers. That's so true. the Muslim Ummah is this closed box of people who all have the same opinion. And clearly with just those people, nothing is changing. It's only when we start to increase awareness and we start to convert people's uh, opinions from being neutral or let's say anti-Palestinian to, oh, wow, like actually empathizing with our cause. The more we make that circle bigger, not just Muslims, but bro, we like we need every kind of person on our side. Like, for example, my in-laws are all white and they're all pro-Palestine, not because we're Palestinian, just because I actually see them looking at stories by themselves. And um, they, they literally know so much about the cause. It, to me, it's fascinating how much they know, That's especially my mother-in-law. Look, we're and living in like, different super... times, right? To, to the point, like, I think if you were to go back 20 years ago, mainstream media would do everything in their power to silence any news that's coming out nowadays things are coming out that are self-incriminating coming from israelis themselves they're posting things on tiktok and instagram literally disgusting things like blatant disgusting atrocities and they're self-incriminating by doing so right um and and all of this is just thanks to social media while as back then yeah. like all of this stuff would go through them first just like right now, I mean, look, when CNN and Fox goes goes into Israel, what's happening? They actually have to submit their footage, right? And then Israel will tell them what footage they can use and what footage they can't use. So right away there, there's a sense of censorship that's happening from the ground there, like literally just from the source itself, right? So don't think that it's not going to happen on a higher level if it needs to happen on a high level. That's the reality. If it's happening at the basic level, the foundation side of things, it's definitely happening at a higher level. So we are living in unprecedented times, and that is a huge blessing. I think it is definitely a big, 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 um, you know, plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who, who is really changing things to the benefit of the Muslims, you know, for the first time in a while in, in, in this specific scenario, I'm saying, uh, at least from the West perspective, um, where people are waking up, people are starting to see the real colors of what's actually happening. And they are, to your point, converting to this cause and becoming, you know, pro-Palestinian and really ch being champions of the cause itself. Um, yeah. Oh, yo, can I? I think I can share my screen, too. Okay, sweet. Let me see. I want to I pull up something because... Uh, yeah, for sure, man. Do it, do it. 100%. So basically, the reason I say we need more people on our side is because there's so many fake stories. And the main question you'd have as someone who doesn't know much about this stuff is okay well how big of a deal is are those fake stories like right right you know like are they just fake stories and nobody's paying attention to them or are they fake stories and we actually have to be worried about it and yeah here, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna totally show you understand something. what you mean like here are three examples of here this guy is massively uh popular like ross from friends yeah i remember that guy i don't know what his actual <laughs> name is okay this guy is a pro-zionist and he will say some like he will he will say like ridiculous things. Number two is you have Ben Shapiro saying things like, 
I would gladly waive the born in USA requirement for presidency for BP. And obviously Ben Shapiro, massive influence, guy who is pro-Zionist and spreads a lot of falsehood about Muslims. And it's not just um, Jews and Zionists that listen to this guy. It's also a lot of Christians, a lot of red, uh, you know, conservatives. And then you have this guy who literally, this guy <laughs> posts this picture claiming that this is someone getting married to a child bride. So obviously um, making false accusations about, oh, look, Muslims marry like six-year-olds or nine-year-olds or whatever it is. And then people correct him. He acknowledges that he made a mistake. And then people keep bashing him. He's like, yo, if you guys don't keep bashing me, I'm going to keep this up. I'm going to literally, I'm going to keep spreading this falsehood. So when you're going against, and like if we were to just look at the stats here, 2.8 million views. Um, Let's see the Ross thing. Bro, the, these things are like wildfire, yeah. man. Uh, I mean, that's so like that's what propaganda is, right? You just pump, 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 and you hope that with enough noise, people will be able to tell the truth from what's false, and then they'll just kind of succumb to it. It's like it's like the, the rape allegations, right? We saw many of those come out, but then there isn't actually any forensic evidence to sustain that. And in fact, even a lot of the Israeli media is saying the same thing, that it's very dangerous to say that. But then whenever they say stuff like that, the ones who are pro that kind of nonsense and fake news, well, they're going to call these media sources as bias or you know Hamas or whatever you want to call it. Because anyone who has an opposed view to the Zionist agenda is anti-Semitic. And that's a label that's just being thrown left, right, and center to silence anyone who has a differing, opponent, like a differing point of view. Um, and we're seeing that. Like, Clearly, you just showed three different examples of that, right? People who are spewing nonsense, spewing lies, and getting away with it. And they don't even need to apologize because the damage is done. And even if they were to apologize, the amount of views that you get... And I remember there's a person who actually tested it out. They posted something on Twitter, which was a lie. Uh, and then they got, you know, let's say 2 million views. And then they corrected themselves. And that correction got like maybe 500,000. You know what I mean? So literally four times the views on the lie as opposed to the truth, which is which is enormous, the damage that's being done. But I think people don't take these sources anymore as truth. And that's just the reality. I feel like people are a little bit more, um, I want to say, maybe hard-headed when it comes to their opinion these days, where it's a lot harder to convince someone otherwise once they've made up their mind about a specific topic. And the reality is there is so much... Once again, self-incriminating evidence coming from Israel themselves and so much evidence for the Palestinian cause that people are ready to make up that mind and still be pro-Palestinian despite all this garbage that's being spewed. That's my honest opinion. Um, that being said, there is a huge push right now to abandon Biden for 2024. What do you mm -hmm. think those ramifications are going to be when it looks like when, when we look at the U.S., for example? Of uh, abandoning Biden? Yeah, so this is how, what the article looks like. They're saying Muslim leaders expand campaign to abandon Biden in 2024 over Israel-Hamas war. And, and keep in mind, this is literally a CNBC article. One of the things that you'll always see is this little headline right here, right? Israel-Hamas war instead of Israel-Gaza or anything like that. Because they really, really want to manipulate the narrative to yeah. show that you know Muslims are being unreasonable and that in a way... By just looking at this at this little headline, you're like, okay, Muslims, these Muslims are pro-Hamas, right? 
which makes it which has that connotation of of negative like it's it's something that's bad you know something that is already making them look bad just from the headline just wanted to throw that in there for anyone uh who's interested in like media liter literacy this is the stuff that you have to always discern uh to really get to the to the nitty-gritty of it so this says over here, a coalition of Muslim leaders in the U.S. is expanding its pressure campaign to dissuade voters from reelecting President Joe Biden due to his failure to call for a ceasefire in Gaza. Um, and so there's a lot of, you know, once again, going back to that point that there's a big disconnect between the leaders and um, the citizens or their people, their followers. What do you think this will do to the U.S. politics come around uh, 2024? Because we know it's, it's gearing up. It's the season, right? Look, wallahu alam, I don't see how things could get much worse than with Biden. Because Biden literally says, um, if we're talking strictly about Israel-Gaza, I don't see how things could get worse. Now, could they get worse elsewhere? Potentially. Um, I, I, but even then, I don't. I honestly think Biden's literally the worst case scenario. I think even Trump would be better than Biden. Because Trump, Trump at least, he's not a pro-Zionist. And he's never, at least I've never seen him say, yo, I'm pro-Zionist. He's actually said things to go against Israel. Um, he obviously has ties to Israel, like his son-in-law and his daughter will visit. But no doubt, yeah. he cares more, much more about the American economy and about America doing well, which honestly is huge. If if that's a that's a big stepping stone in the right direction versus Biden and Blinken, who are giving, you know, uh, millions uh, checks, billions, billions <laughs> without any repercussions. Like, hey, take the money, take it, take it. Yeah, both. I think that's why they didn't and, like Trump and, uh, and Israel, right? Like they've already pretty much sunk. I don't know how many billions at this point. So to your point, it's it's quite a big, uh, big improvement. So look, the America First initiatives that like you know Trump and now even Vivek is like a big champion of. Because even Vivek has said like if he was president, he wouldn't give them a single dollar. He would encourage them. Like he would still consider them allies, and he would try to help them in using voices or whatever it is. But not a single dollar would go there because he doesn't believe in uh, doing that, essentially. Or at least that's what I understood. Um, now, that being said, if Biden at this point is really going to get damaged by this, you know, especially in swing states where this could actually lead to some, you know, veritable effect, what would you say would look like then on the Democrat side for 2024? Are they going to find some new person? Or are they just going to still push Biden? Are they just going to hope he magically, you know, passes away and then, you know, Kamala Harris comes in or whoever his next VP is? Like, what do you think? How how do you think this whole thing plays out? Bro, uh, it's funny you say that. Like, are they going to pick a new person? I would say without a doubt they're going to pick a new person because this guy, who knows if he's going to even live to the next election. Okay, He's like already, even if he lives to it, he, his brain is already, it's, it's done for. But nonetheless, uh, my, my question would be, do you think they already have this person picked and now they're just pulling strings until it looks really bad and then boom, out of nowhere, oh, Michelle Obama's running? Yeah, honestly, it's possible. It's very, very possible. I just think time is of the essence. Like they really need to do something about this ASAP because we're, we're already in 2024. This is, you know, we're recording this on the 1st of, of Jan, right? Um, they have, so the election I think happened sometime in November, if I'm not mistaken. And then, you know, by January 1st of next year, the person's officially in power, but they're, they're elected sometime November. So all this to say that like time's of the essence, what do they have? Like 11 months? They have to, it's a whole campaign. And for now they haven't really announced anyone. They haven't announced either Michelle Obama or Gavin Newsom or any of the names that, you know, would normally show up, right? Like Pete Buttigieg. I think that's because they know announcing is not a problem. I think what the issue is and what they're focusing on is this right here. It's making sure they have the votes. 
and this is something that Musk okay. uh, posted about, but the um, the amount of illegal immigrants that are coming into the U.S. So during Trump's time, it was an average of, let's say, 50,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And then when you see something crazy like, oh, ever since Biden, it's gone up to an average of 250,000 a month. Bro, we're talking about every year, um, you're talking about three, like two or three million new illegal immigrants. Yeah, that's huge. Over a three or four year span, you're talking about 10 million people. That will make huge changes in how uh, how the elections play out. So like, I don't know, when Biden does stuff like this, when, when stuff like this happens under the Democrats, bro, these people are dirty. Yeah, they're definitely setting the foundation. There's no doubt about that. Like there's 100%, you can kind of see it just based on that. So when you're talking about legal immigrants, uh, this is like, what what does that look like from, um, like, where are they coming from? Uh, honestly, I don't know. That's a good, good question. I would imagine Mexico, but I have heard also Africa. People are coming like over the over the ocean, like from the boats and stuff. That's that's, that's yeah. Crazy. <laughs> but so, I'm not like my geography is not great. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think mine is either. But you get the idea. The idea there is yeah. they're setting some sort of a foundation to secure their votes, to secure their power, regardless of who the name is, because the name at the end of the day might just be another puppet. That's just reality. I mean, look, we're seeing it with APAC, right? What do they have, like a 95% success rate? Anyone who's literally been pushed by APAC at this point has pretty much become a president at this point. No way. I didn't know that. Pretty much. Did 95%. APAC push Trump? Uh, I believe so. I believe he was uh, an APAC favored person. Yes, 100%. In fact, he spoke so at APAC. Yeah. With, with they don't, uh, do they push both parties or just one party? Both. Both. They have puppets on both. 100%. Like Nikki Haley, right? Nikki Haley, I think she's received already like 250000 just this year alone. And this is on paper, right? We both know that. You can also yeah. pass money through uh, different means if you want. Two fifty thousand. Yeah. What, what is two fifty thousand? Quote unquote, right? She's bought this like huge mansion off I don't know where, like this crazy mansion that was definitely more than two hundred fifty thousand. So, realistically speaking, they do play both sides, and so really at the end of the day, there's this illusion of choice. Mm. But whatever you really choose at the end of the day is one of theirs. You know, probably going to win. So right now, the favored, or at least even the Democrats, Democratic, let's say, uh, sources are even pushing Nikki Haley from the Republic side as the voice, as opposed to Vivek, because Vivek is not as, you know, in their pocket, let's say. He wants to defund, you know, the CIA, defund the FBI, all that stuff, and get rid of them. And as, as you know, Trump used to put it, drain the swamp, right? Uh, and all, a lot of these things are assets of you know, the Zionist movement overall, in my opinion, like it's really tied in. It's it's hard to really make the difference, but I do believe that it's it's heavily tied in to whatever APAC wants Bro, and all that stuff. I don't I don't buy it with Nikki Haley because uh, someone said it on Twitter or whatever, wherever it was. So th- this woman, right? Um, someone said, uh, I don't know anybody who knows anybody who's pro Nikki Haley. Like, I agree. Nobody I agree. knows anybody who wants this person. It seems like it's almost she's there. What was that? What was that woman like a while ago? Like fifteen years ago, she she was in the same position where it was almost a joke. Um, she was from Alaska, I think. Oh, oh um, yeah, I know. Uh, uh, Palin was it? Palin? Yeah, Sarah yeah, Palin, right? Sarah Palin, yeah, yeah. Bro, it's like the same thing. It's the same playbook. It's it's they're putting this person who's never going to actually. I don't, I don't know. Look, they have this game that they're playing. Yeah. 
And uh, look, man, uh, say what you will about Tate, but I feel like they have these chess moves. And I feel at least I'm always three steps behind. And it's only when it comes to fruition that it's like, oh, damn, okay, this was this was the game plan. But by that time, it's almost too late. Yeah, I agree. Totally. So, look, we, we both can acknowledge the fact that, like, you know, Joe Biden, Genocide Joe, he's already pretty much destroyed his legacy. At this point, I don't I would hope that he still has a little bit of humanity himself to, like, repair the damages that he's done. Although there's no reparations. Let's be real. Nah, bro. He's not um, doing that. But, yeah, the re- repercussions on his legacy are almost final at this point. Like, if especially if he doesn't do anything at this point to at least call for a ceasefire or whatever it is, which he still hasn't done. And even if, you know, there's 80, 80 whatever, 80, day, day 87, I think, or something like that right now, uh, more, of yeah. war and all the damage and the panel, like the, the amount of people who have, uh, you know, died and returned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like, it's, it's a very sad reality of what's happening right now in Gaza. Um, and that's going to be his, his reputation for the rest of his life, like literally past his death, right? Like he, he worked so hard to become the president only to be known as genocide Joe. That is really, really like, there's a sense of, of, uh, beautiful justice from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, that becomes synonymous with his persona for the rest of his life, literally. And even after yeah. life. Literally, which is insane, subhanAllah. Um, so what's the move then for, for the Democrats? So I guess we're both in agreement that he's not possibly gonna win. They're gonna have to introduce it. They're 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 fixing the foundation there. Um the Republicans, even on that end, APAC is trying to like cement Nikki Haley as the as the mouthpiece, the person to go through, so that you know, either way, whoever wins, they've got someone, and that person kind of becomes the champion. So are you do you think like 2024 is just going to be one of those things where it's one of those just another dumb election that just goes by cuz look I mean Trump I don't think he's going to he's going to be able to run I don't know that's my personal opinion uh he's already been blocked in Colorado I think they just announced that he's being blocked in Maine right now uh so they're yeah. really not even giving him a fair chance to to run like that's kind of how things are going right Look the way I would look at it is I'm not even interested in who's going to get it. I'm interested in understanding what are they doing because here I'll show I'll, I'll share my screen yet again. Um, ba, 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 ba. Okay, this guy. This guy is pro pro Israel pro. Let me know if you hear it. Not yet. Oh no, I, I muted it on this. Oh one. yes, Rob Kennedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's what Israel's done. Israel used high tech to avoid civilian casualties. It has already it's made twenty thousand phone calls with a, with Israeli soldiers who speak Arabic before they. Okay, I don't want to watch too much of this guy, but all I'll say is there's no way he's getting elected with that voice. No, like, no, no, no diss on him. Like I get it. It sucks to have. Uh, I think it's a disease or whatever. It's a condition for sure in his throat. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, he gets like this razzy voice. It's fine. I don't see people. Electing someone like this, well, like when, when I've heard this before, it's like when they think about electing uh, presidents, the reason why it's called a race is because oftentimes you're electing the person who's most fit, who's most um, like people respect this person. And I genuinely, I have trouble hearing more than a minute of this guy. Yeah, I think this is a facade. I think Nikki Haley is a facade. And I think even Vivek's a facade, man. Vivek, if he was just the right skin color, a lot of Americans would back him. But I don't Definitely. see a lot of Americans being behind the fact that, especially the older crowd, right? The younger crowd, we had no problem with it. But I think 
pick 40 and up, they probably have a bit more reservation hiring a brown guy um, as their president. My only issue with all of this is the following. Is that if this keeps going on, the U.S. as a country, as a power, is further and further going to alienate themselves from the rest of the world. Look, we're already seeing it right now, right? When they passed the UN resolution, there was about 153 countries or so that were voting for a ceasefire. And only 10 members voted against the resolution, right? So they were trying to pass that and literally 10 members, and one of them, of course, being the US, one of them, of course, being Israel and so on, voted against it. So you're really seeing an overwhelming of majority of countries that are thinking a certain way, and the US really keep on moving in their own direction under that guise of like, you know, the Zionist movement and so on and so forth. Um, even so, to the point where the UN recently had to dumb down a resolution, literally strip it down just for humanitarian aid, because they knew that the US was going to veto against it, right? So literally, they had an issue getting just humanitarian aid, like food trucks into Gaza to, to help people who are starving at the moment because there's no food, there's no water, they've cut off everything from being able to at least sustain themselves so they can stay alive, right? And then, you know, Israel says it's not a genocide, which is absolutely ridiculous, right? They've literally weaponized hunger for the uh, the Gazans, which is ridiculous. Now, all that being said, if this election doesn't go through the way that they want, and despite, you know, the people that we're saying and how it's all a facade and whatnot, realistically, this is just a recipe for the U.S. to completely alienate themselves and to further um, kind of accelerate the decline of this U.S. empire. What are your thoughts about that? Uh, bro, I mean, there's a lot of evidence to show that the U.S. has... Um, I think whenever weird things are happening in the world, it's because we don't understand them, but there is logic to their actions. It's not illogical. It would be actually stupid on us to think that these people are not intelligent. They're extremely intelligent people. So the question is, what are they doing? Because there's obviously Ukraine that's happening and that's almost illogical, the amount of support that they're getting. Yeah. So there's obviously a bigger, um, a bigger plan there. It ties in with Israel, what's happening there. And it ties in with a bunch of other places like Yemen and whatever, maybe Saudi, whatever it is, right? So the question is really, what are they prepping for, man? Uh, not to be this conspiracy guy, but I've been diving into some of these conspiracies and they make a lot more sense than at least what we take at face value. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, the, the reality is like, it kind of is translating it its own self, right? From those UN resolutions alone, you can see that even for the humanitarian aid one, for example, the U.S. themselves didn't vote yes for it. They just abstained. So basically, they just didn't veto. And this is yeah. to get food and water into Gaza. Like, and and then the, the the I remember watching this video. The lady in the in the UN, one of the ambassadors there, was basically saying like, you know, we're so proud of this decision that we've made and. We're really proud. It's a historic moment. No, no, no. And like almost taking credit for abstaining. <laughs> like, yeah. like how delusional do you have to be? So there is definitely a steep decline. We're seeing it play out in front of our eyes. And I do believe that definitely a lot of it is being accelerated because of this uh, Israel-Palestine conflict that we're seeing right now, right? Conflict 
we know what it really is, but you get my point. Like that's what everyone's calling it, aside from uh, you know, Muslim voices, right? Um, so all this to say that we're we're seeing this happen right in front of our eyes. What is the next step for the US? If they wanted to stay in, if they actually want to keep power, is it something that they can still repair, or do you think it's beyond that point of no return? Like if they wanted to remain the superpower? Yeah. Look, logically, what the facts are is that it's clear Israel controls Congress. And then at this point, my question would be, if Congress is the, are the people deciding the direction of uh, the country, do they value more how Israel is doing or how the U.S. is doing? Right. Because Israel is not looking too good right now. There's a lot of heat happening there. The U.S. has nothing. The U.S. has economical issues and internal issues. But I would want to understand, like, how is Israel going to play out? Because I almost think that... Congress is going to do anything it can to make sure Israel stays alive, even if it means the very, very fast down, the downfall of the U.S. Yeah, it feels like they're literally ripping off the bandaid, right? And Israel, in this case, is becoming like this spoiled kid, this spoiled brat that is not getting things their way. And so they're just causing all sorts of ruckus right now in the Middle East. I mean, we saw this, uh, you know, very, very quickly, but um, like from the, the Houthi... Uh, and and that U.S. coalition, right? Uh, the the Yemenis. So you know how yeah. Yemen basically imposed a blockade. They're like anything that comes through the Red Sea, we're gonna block, especially if it has something to do with Israel. Anything aside from Israel, we'll let we'll let go. You know, we'll we'll let it go through. Any anything with ties to Israel, uh, anything without ties ties to Israel. Sorry. So they went and they started doing their blockade, which, in all honesty, they have almost every right to do because. The Red Sea, part of the Red Sea literally borders across their territory. So if they want to defend it their way, you know, they can defend it their way. If they want to impose sanctions their way, they can technically do it, right? Now, of course, we live in a very hypocritical world where that is not the case, right? Uh, hence, the U.S. decided, you know what? Let's create this coalition. Let's try to get a bunch of these Western countries who are, are our allies uh, to come in and essentially, um, hopefully, cause war of some sort or sink some ships or anything like that. And resist whatever uh, the Houthis in the, or, or Yemen was imposing. So initially, they had a bunch of countries listed out. They announced this. And then a bunch of countries started dropping out. You had France. You had Italy. You had Spain. Uh, and then some of them, you know, were like, you know, what, we'll give you a ship or two, you know, just to kind of show that, you know, we're still with you guys, you know, in spirit kind of thing. Uh, this week alone, because of this escalation, because, you know, Israel is probably like pushing and pulling the strings to make sure that, you know, something gets done because they're losing tons of money on the day, like ridiculous amounts of money. Um, we're talking about millions. Like it's not, it's not a joke. Right. So, so they definitely pull the strings to get us to kind of create that coalition. Us goes ahead, creates that coalition this week alone. They've sunk three out of four ships. So they had these little speedboats that they were kind of like, you know, navigating in the sea. Uh, and the U S essentially um, decided to destroy them. Uh, and that, is from what news are, is saying is these are the first deaths within the Red Sea since this whole thing. So when the Houthis were actually doing their thing, they didn't actually kill anyone. They were just damaging the ships and they would warn them three times ahead of time. And if they didn't respond to the warnings, then, you know, they would take them down. Um, the U.S. actually killed people because they wanted to get those ships into Israel under the guise that this is for the global economy. We understand that there is some sort of truth there. You know, it will affect the global economy and it could lead to inflation. We saw it with the, uh, the Suez Canal, right? If I'm not mistaken, um, during COVID, 
Um, and, and it had big, big rep- repercussions on stocks and so on and so forth. Anyways, a big, big, uh, I remember nasty red day on that, on that time where things went down like 10 plus percent. It was a ridiculous amount. So I know, I know they're trying to avoid another happening like this. Um, but this is a sign of them further escalating it because things are just not going their way. Right. And another example of this is when Israel decided to assassinate one of the commanders in Syria was an Irani high commander, top one of the top commanders. Uh, and this is really to instigate war with uh, Iran. They've been doing that with Lebanon, right? With just like bombing the borders and making sure, and even they've sent drones on top of Beirut and so on. So they're really trying to instigate any war. Uh, they're doing with Egypt, with the borders. We saw that as well. They're going to the borders. And like, we want to control this border. It's not up to you. And Egypt is like, no, this is a red line. If you do that, you know, there might you might start some issues. And this is probably a response to them because of the fact that they tried to send people in. They're like, we'll even pay you to just take them into the Sinai Desert. And they said, no, we don't want that. We don't want to be responsible for that. Your thoughts on that. What do you think is the end goal for Israel at this point? Do you think they're just ripping off the band-aid? They're going all out, trying to cause ruckus? Is this Netanyahu's like last plea to stay in power? Yeah, I would say so, actually. That last part. I think Netanyahu is like desperate and is doing a lot and he doesn't mind. I mean, he's willing to think about it. When someone's like mad, desperate, they're seeing um, the end of their life ahead of them. And maybe he's not going to die, but maybe he's going to be in prison for the rest of his life. His family will not have the luxury it has. You do anything to save yourself and to save your loved ones. And I don't think he has any problem bringing the nation down. Um, And I think the evidence to back this up is that protests and journalists that are happening to speak out against him are being violently uh, reacted to. So like Mm -hmm. I've seen journalists, Israeli journalists being dragged in the streets for posting stuff on social media. Um, I've seen, yeah, protests will get shut down right away. Um, I think even they put some people in jail for protesting. Like when stuff like that happens, man, that's not a Western country, bro. As much as they want to say, oh, we're Europeans, blah, blah, blah. Like, no. That's very no, true. No, no. And even if you were, by the way, you're both garbage. You and the Europeans, both of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I agree. It's a, it really is that last, uh, like, you know, little child who's just spoiled, who's gotten everything he's ever wanted in life. It's like that guy, you know, he's playing video games, right? And, like, he loses, and then he, like, turns off the console or, like, throws it out. And he's like, you know, yeah. like, nobody's playing because I lost and I hate everybody. It's like, come on, man, grow up. Like, just take the L, you know, just take it. Bro, it's interesting you say that. Do you think the nuke option is on the table? That's ridiculous, right? When it escalates, because that's exactly that point, what it is, right? Yeah. If I'm not gonna make it, nobody's. Making yeah, basically, <laughs> it's it's really it's so it's so savagely ridiculous. It's almost like it really is psychopathic if you think about it, right? Like, what world do we live in where we feel like this is a leader of a country that we are allied with? That's clearly the way that they're acting. A hundred percent. They're not. They're not taking it. Like even like so so recently, right? So aside from Yemen. South Africa is probably the only second, you know, country that's actually doing something. I mean, as a body, right, um, against Israel. So they they filed a, um, a like a, basically to the the what is it called the International Court of Justice, I C I C J or something like that, uh, an official um, legal legally binding uh, accusation of genocide against Israel. Okay, so this is something that just happened a couple of days ago, if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, and Israel is just like, you know what? No, like we don't, we don't take that. You know, we're just going to ignore that. We don't even believe in that or anything like that. Now, of course, we don't expect a lot to come out of that because, you know, we, we've seen that happen with Russia, but it is legally binding, 100%. So if it does go through, it does have some legal ramifications, no doubt about it, right? Legally speaking, you would be able to view Israel as a monster in this case or as a genocider, right? But that being said, it's just what I'm trying to do with this point is I'm trying to further drive that image of this spoiled child who, when he doesn't get things his way or if anyone, you know, points out their mistakes, what do they use? You're anti-Semitic. Right? That's just the card that they use. And that's unfortunate because there is actually a growth in anti-Semitism. I do believe that that is actually happening, just as there is a growth with, with uh, Islamophobia overall, and that the people who would typically benefit from this label, right, and who would, would need to actually, you know, defend themselves through this label are not going to get their due justice because this label is being overplayed. Or overused, right? You know, uh, something interesting is, um, okay, I've heard people say uh, all Arabs are Semites as well, etc., etc. Whatever, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Like, even if they are. The more interesting thing I've heard is majority, majority of Jews, like 99%, have been in Europe for so long, they're not even Semitic anymore. Yeah, that's true. Their, their, their bloodline is filled with, like, you know, Polish and Ukrainian and Russian and all this kind of... So it's like, yeah. bro, you use anti-Semite, but that, that actually applies for Arabs. That doesn't apply anymore for Jews. And this statement is probably anti-Semitic. <laughs> yeah, you would probably be an anti-Semitic for, for, oh, for so saying good. that, that's for sure. <laughs> no, but it is it is really getting ridiculous, right? Like, look, bo both you and I technically would be considered Semites, right? So... It would be one of those things where, like, calling us anti-Semitic would be literally illogical. But it is a word that has been adapted to what they would consider hatred of Jews, right? Uh, but the only issue with that is that that hatred of Jews is now synonymous with criticism of Israel. And that's the dangerous part, right? I do believe that there is, just as with hatred towards Muslims, there are some bigots in the world that hate Jews just for being Jewish. But this is not about people being Jewish. This is about a state that calls itself a Jewish state. We we both know that this is not really the case. Let's be real. A lot of uh, Jewish people are actually against the state of Israel in and of itself. It is the Zionism overall, in my opinion, is a fascist, racist ideology, an Islamophobic ideology because it necessitates Right. It actually requires Muslims in Palestine to die in order for that to actually go through, in order for that dream to actually come through. And anything that is built upon that dream is blatantly racist, right, is blatantly wrong. It's blatantly something that is genocidal and should not be a, a thing that we should even encourage. So all this to say that, um, look, anti-Semitism, I do believe, is real, if you want to call it from the hatred of the Jews, just not in this context. Not in this mm -hmm. specific context of criticizing Israel for genociding Palestinians. Definitely not. And I think it is very dangerous to keep using that label that way because it is doing injustice to the people who are actually facing actual anti-Semitism. Right? And that's, that's unfortunate. And that is a byproduct of, once again, Netanyahu, this little spoiled child who just doesn't get things his way and is literally causing more damage to his, even his own people or people of his religion because of the way that he conducts himself. Bro, it's, um, 
there's two interesting things I want to say about that. The first one is uh, Albert Einstein said, I know not with what weapons World War Three will be fought, but World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones. And, and even for sure, an even greater um, uh, credible source, obviously the Prophet where it said the hour will not be established until the fighters fight with stones and sticks. So this is one of the prophecies of the Day of Judgment. Um, it's found in Imam Muhammad's uh, various collections, including those by Imam Ahmed. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, if we're told this, I think like the nuke option is going to come eventually. Now, the question is when. But it seems like if there was one wild card, it would be, uh, if not Netanyahu, just somebody that's Israeli, bro. They're so, they're literally psychopaths. Let's be serious here. Yeah, so, I agree. 100%. 100%. And look, they're not alone, right? We're seeing this even happening from our leaders within the Middle East. Like, you know, we're talking earlier about this disconnect between the leaders and their people. The same is also happening in the Middle East. Right in Saudi alone, ninety-six percent of the population wants Saudi to cut ties with Israel, and they're not just cutting ties, but they're actually facilitating through the blockades that Yemen has done. Like for example, Jordan has opened up trade routes to let in certain things into Israel because they have to otherwise go around, and that would just lose a lot of money. And they're kind of facilitating. So whether it's food or anything like that. There is some news going around that they have actually facilitated some of this stuff. So they're saying one thing, but then they're acting another way, right? And even within our country, this is a reality. I know some scholars who mentioned that, you know, when they went to or when they were getting ready for Umrah, because you know how, you know, they do these packages and, you know, they have Umrah groups and whatnot. Some of them were told that they were not allowed to bring any kafiyas, right, which is that Palestinian scarf, this thing right here. And um, not allowed to even bring like free Palestine stickers or anything like that, right? Uh, and they were told that if they do bring these things, then they would be turned back home once they get into the country. Um, so your thoughts on that? Do you think this is like, a, you know, further weaponizing? Like, where do you think, do you think these people actually care, these leaders? Let's be real. Like, you know, your, your honest thoughts about this. The, the specific, specifically, you mean the Muslim ones? Yeah, like, let's say... Saudi, UAE, Jordan, Egypt, the main players. Let's put it that way. Look, man, uh, I'm trying to plan here, hedge soon. I can't talk too much about Saudi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's juicy. We'll release the episode after. <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> I think if we were to give... Uh, Sami Hamdi is actually one of the people that was discussing this. And yeah. He said it beautifully. He said, most likely... And I love, I love, honestly, I love his perspective because it's very logical, man. It's like if you were to put your sh uh, yourself in these people's shoes, most likely they end up doing what a lot of people do, is they justify um, the. So you can't justify the ends by the means. So they're justifying basically what they're doing because they're seeking a certain goal. Now, whether these Muslims, uh, Muslim leaders, are saying, you know what, for the sake of my country, this is what I gotta do, or for the sake of his legacy, whatever his intention is. Obviously, it's rooted in the dunya. Whatever, like, and if there is some sort of akhirah, it's some twisted way of thinking about the akhirah. Like, oh, this is what's going to get me the best reward. Mm -hmm. But Sami Hamdi said it. He, he he said, look, it makes it actually does make sense, and it hurts him to say it, but it does make sense for Saudi and Turkey and some of these guys to be doing what they're doing. It's just, is it the right thing to do? No. But from a dunya perspective, and especially from the trade route that they're planning and the 2030, 2040 plans, UAE, Saudi have have in, in mind. Yeah, this is that's their priority, man. These people, and um, 
it's obviously short sighted and it's very dunya driven. Yeah. Um, but yo, they have like everything they're doing is from a dunya perspective, man. Introducing mm-hmm. concerts and not like you know concerts that have like respectable, let's say, singers. Okay, we're talking about concerts that have the worst of the worst. Totally. So going from zero to three sixty, very fast. Like Shakira, Mariah Carey, right? Some of those names that came out before. Yeah. I think that the more interesting thing I would have to ask, because I was actually just discussing this with somebody literally like half an hour ago on the phone or an hour ago, um, is what does that mean for us? So these countries, clearly, they want what's best for themselves, whether the leaders want what's best for their countries or themselves. Um, as a Muslim, in terms of what that means for you uh, with respect to you know being a good Muslim, uh, preparing yourself for your akhirah, do you think this would be a conducive, a more conducive environment than the West, Europe, US, Canada? So, yeah. should is it a good idea to go there, or is it like no, I'm not seeing, I'm not liking what I'm seeing, and I'm just gonna stay put? So, this is for those who are intending on, let's say, moving there for a better environment or under the guise of that, right? Like that's the, yeah, that's, yeah, okay. So, it's I mean, a big look, topic. Yeah, the reality is, if you're looking at the West. We're, we're no better, right? Like our tax dollars are directly going to Israel, like directly, right? Which they're paying for those bullets that are literally murdering children, missiles that are murdering children and women and men that are completely innocent, that have nothing to do with anything, that are not fighters or, you know, uh, part of the resistance or anything like that. Um they're just living their lives. They just happen to be on that land and they're just, you know, walking around and bam, you know, a missile hits them and there goes, you know, five, five of their families or six of their families or some, sometimes an entire family lineage. Honestly, it's, it's really, really, yeah. it's, 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 it's very immense the amount of damage that's been happening. Um, so you cannot say, you know, with a fact or without a doubt that moving there is worse than staying in the West. That there's no way that's, that's, that's the reality. Now, the West has certain things that you you can kind of benefit from that you wouldn't really be able to benefit from there. Two things, I would say. Number one, certain freedoms, okay? The reality is, to some extent in the U.S., there is still freedom of speech to some extent. I'm not saying this is quickly starting to go away. We're starting to see that, right? They're trying to silence voices on Meta. Uh, just alone, TikTok, they're trying to you know kill it off because they're blaming that for everything. In fact, Israel now supposedly found Chinese manufactured weapons in, in Gaza. You know, mashallah. Somehow they, you know, they, you know how you on toys you see made in China. Somehow maybe on the toy on the gun it said you know made in China or something, something ridiculous like that, right? Um, so so they're trying to create that dissent. They're trying to you know use that as the as a narrative to further control how speech is given, how speech is done. I think Nikki Haley was even saying that you know for anyone who has a TikTok. Uh, they should have a driver's license associated to it so that you know exactly who that person is if you need to find them or, you know, take care of them or anything like that. Because we know... But yo, majority of social media is already tied to our phone numbers and Facebook. Yeah. These people know who we are. Yeah, Plus, 100%. Yeah, sorry, 100%. But they, they mean like a, a, like a legal because you can create multiple accounts, right? Some of them yeah. you can make them a little bit harder, maybe a little bit more non- anonymous or something or maybe put under burner phone or... But it's a little it's a little easier once you have an actual identity attached, and that will actually limit people from even creating dupes, realistically, right? Because then you can actually like cover that out. So all this to say that this is the route that it's going. But right now, till now, you can still do protests, like we've seen. The majority of the big protests have been happening out here in the West, right? 
I mean, in the West, in the Middle East, of course, has been also happening. We have to give a shout out to those guys as well, right? Uh, the ones who are marching, like for example, in Yemen, there's like millions upon millions every Friday that are marching, uh, pretty much all over the world. Like, don't want to like say that they don't have that, and they're they're not allowed protesting, but it's definitely very different in the states. We do have that, but quickly, what we're seeing is that a lot of this stuff is a myth. A lot of this stuff is becoming very selective freedoms. You get to do this as long as you're not harming me and my agenda. So that's one thing that is also a counter argument for why one person would actually go to the Middle East as opposed. The second thing, and this is really the only thing. is so the, the first taking, one is freedom of speech, having more of that. Yes, here. 100%. The second thing I would say is the taking for granted what Islam is. We've seen this happen many times, right? When you live in an Islamic environment, it's beautiful. It's an amazing thing. But unfortunately, what ends up happening is that you kind of start taking your identity for granted. Because everyone around you is doing that. So you're no longer an outsider. There isn't this like pride or thing that you have to fight against. And this is like a sociological, anthropological side of thing. Like this is a psychologically or sociologically impacting point, what I'm trying to say. Um, when you f- when you're alone, like in our case, living in the West, we're a minority, a visible minority. We have to fight that much harder for our rights, for our Islam. We're a lot prouder to be Muslims. Yes, it's harder to practice your deen because of certain things like they ban the hijab here, or they ban the hijab there, or whatever the case may be. But at the same time, there is a, a, a bigger sense of faith or a bigger sense of like pride within your, your Islam, within your religion. And that ends up being something that you might lose Maybe not your generation, maybe not your kids' generation, but maybe a, f- a few generations down the line where, you know, you might end up being that Saudi leader who, <laughs> once again, normalizes ties with Israel because, well, everyone's a Muslim, so nothing else is different. You get my point? Yeah, those are interesting points. Um, you mentioned freedom of speech, and then you mentioned... Um, like taking your deen for granted in that way. Like that yeah, identity taking your deen for granted. Yeah. What I would say is for the second part, um taking your dean for granted i don't know man because i feel like if you have a good group of people no matter where you are you'll be fine and that's true i think that's probably the main thing that's going to hold at least a lot of us back is we're if we don't have family there if we don't have friends there it becomes hard now obviously if one person makes the move makes it that much easier for the next to follow yeah and I goes. I guess that goes for a lot of things. Like no, once one person is the first mover, it makes it easy for everybody else. But as of the first point, the whole freedom of speech. Let me just pop this up, man. Because honestly, you're absolutely right that we have more freedom of speech. I guess now it's just figuring out which one's more important to us. Yeah. So, for example, when uh, in Canada, our mm-hmm. our prime minister is saying, you know what, men's bathrooms should have tampons and menstrual pads. And this is now going to be the norm. Right. That's the um, counter. Yeah, where's the freedom of speech here? Like when my son goes to the washroom, he's going to see menstruation pads. Okay. You know what? Let's say that's not that big of a deal. Let's take this guy who is literally saying, I'm let me know if you hear it. I'm at the shopping mall. LOL. <laughs> this time of year, I kind of like, I don't think I'm going to buy anything, but I kind of like the hubbub and the holiday kind of feeling and i wanted to let you know i value you the guy just doesn't look normal thank you if you have no family you can be in my family if you needed to go no contact or limited contacts 
Man, it really grinds my gears when a stranger tells another stranger, I love you very much. It's like, no, you don't. You don't know who I am. There's yeah, no way you can love me. What are you talking about? This guy looks deranged. He looks like he's weird. Right? There's yeah, something yeah. off about the look. And then when you when you put these people in classrooms or you bring them for class visits and you're slowly introducing them to younger and younger kids and you're having drag show stories being read. And yo, Some of the bros we have in our circle, they had this issue in their daycares. Their kid would be being their kid was uh, their like stories would be read to them by a drag queen or whatever. When we can't even speak about this stuff and say, "Yo, I'm not down for this because we might get in trouble." Because Canada is super progressive, man. That's a good point. Canada is like ridiculously progressive, especially Quebec. Quebec. Yeah. The- <laughs> no, no, you're right. Look, um, look, this is this is happening now, especially now with the the overly liberal movement pushing. There is you're making a very good point. Like this is the bad side of that freedom, you know, freedom of speech and freedom of expression and freedom of, you know, being who you are and all that stuff. That is the other side to it. And you're you're very right. We can't ignore that. And that is undoubtedly going to affect what I mean by this, though, what I was trying to say about the whole identity thing, at least. Is more so like, look, for you and myself, right, we're both born Arabs, let's say, from Arab cultures and you know Muslim backgrounds, um, but both of us weren't always practicing let's put it that way right and and it took us being around people here in the west alhamdulillah like from the friends that we've met you know and later on for us to kind of get that spark now we are where we are 100 like we're at this point where you know we're, we're muslims we're proud of it we, we you know we pray we fast we do all of this stuff uh you know we we, we take on um you know whatever we can in terms of knowledge from from scholars we like to learn we like to to be educated now sure if you want to go to uh the the middle east you're ready to go like you've pretty much formed your identity and you're probably going to hopefully be able to do that to your kids as well impart that on them you know build them out to be that way and so on but what happens a few generations down the line where maybe those things once again start getting murky again right you get my point like before you were able to come here to the west you met those friends you were able to make those friends and you became who you were the reality is over there there is that sense of you take things for granted in that way right because culture and islam as a religion because of this whole concept of secularism it blends those lines and more and more these middle eastern countries are trying to become secular and they're secularizing mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff. So really, it's like you you can't really win. You get my point? Like on either side, there is that threat. But in the immediate, I do agree with you that there are tremendous benefits. And, you know, moving you know to, to the Middle East, if you can, you know, if you can afford it and you, you're willing to live that lifestyle and it's compatible with you. Like there's a ton of benefits there. No doubt about it. Bro, no joke. Ten years ago, if you asked me which was better to live in. I would have definitely said Canada for yeah. sure because the Middle East does have a lot of stuff that um, it still needs to work on. I would have for sure said Canada. But then seeing the trend, and I think this trend is going to continue, I would say now it's at a stage where I'm like, I don't know. And I think in 10 years, it'll be clear. It's like, no, you definitely should go there. Yeah. And I know people were like, I, I know people when they were, when we were younger, like 15 years, 15 years ago, we were, let's say like 20-ish, maybe a little younger. The Shiyukh would say, uh, maybe it's time, maybe it's not. They wouldn't really give a clear indication, mm. right? There were there were still 
a little bit more leniency and it was still a bit more like no it's you know like inshallah this is a good place to be but now i'm seeing much more reason to be there the, the, there's there's two things i would say okay so you gave two points i would say my two points on um why i think potentially it makes more sense to move there the first one is uh one of the brothers he told me this is like in the vast majority of cases when immigrants come here by the second generation they lose their mother tongue so for for me my kids don't know arabic i'm the second i'm I don't know which one to consider me. I think I think I'm the second generation. So like my Arabic is broken, which is like majority of Arabs our age. The Arabic is broken because they came here when they were young. Yeah. Our kids, if it's not if it's not, you know, if it's just if, if it even exists, for sure it's very broken. It's even worse. So that's the first thing is Arabic. It it is something important. Um the second, it goes back to where our tax is going, but I saw a recent article that was saying like Somebody calculated how much they live in the U.S., but somebody calculated how much of my money, how much of my salary in the year okay. went to funding the Israel directly, uh, like slaughter. This person was making a little bit low, uh, below forty thousand, and they their contributions were one hundred fifty dollars. So let's say you're making eighty, bro. You that's three hundred dollars. Yeah, you put in killing children. Yeah, yeah. and that's... even if it wasn't direct. Well, 300 bucks is a lot of money. Yeah, it is. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's like, it's enough for, you know, guns, like guns that can do more than just one kid, technically speaking. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, it it is. It is definitely unfortunate. SubhanAllah. Like, like, so, so you're not wrong in that way, right? Like, at the end of the day, the only fear that I have is this over secularization of the, the Middle East at the moment, where maybe even in 10 years, that line starts to become blurry as well. And that's what I'm kind of afraid of. It's that side of the things, right? Because the UAE, for example, they just opened up or they are opening up their first brewery. This is unheard of. We're talking about from the time of the Prophet literally to like, you know, post that. Like, yeah, people have been against Hamr and, you know, weren't proud of, you know, having breweries and it was, it was banned and so on and so forth. Now we're talking about this resurgence of that, you know? It's scary. It really is scary. Look, you're talking about uh, the, the what's it called? We're just talking about Saudi alone, right? Inviting Mara Kerry, inviting uh, Shakira. You remember that that uh, video that you were showing me last time about the the guy, the guy who was dancing, right? Like he's literally like oh, almost twerking. Like it's like, bro, what the hell are you doing? You know, like you're you're in full phobe mode, and here you are, you know, doing that while while Shakira is singing, and you find these niqabis dancing and whatnot. It's scary, but that is something that's going to only further push that um you know de de-islamification uh, we got, we got of the you know middle east right you found the video so th- this is what we're talking about guys whoever's watching this guy right here look at that like how how is that Okay, so look, look, look. Let me let me be uh Bro, it's packed. Okay? It's packed. Like I want I want you to also p- focus on that, right? Like it is packed. So it's, I hear you, I hear you. It's it's a growing like you can almost tell it's like almost a growing population of wanting these things, unfortunately. Right? So check, check. I hear you, I hear you. Um what I would say is the following, man. It's like this stuff, it's happening, it's getting worse, the brewery, the concerts, whatever it is. But even if it gets widespread 
it's not that big of a deal because you're not sinful in any way. The environment is getting worse and worse, yeah. but it'll, it's only like it's approaching where we are. So we already have like tens of thousands of breweries here. Yeah. Right. If they have their first, okay, bro, as long as I don't go and sit down and drink the beer, I, would I like to have it there? No, but I don't think it impacts my life all that much. Whereas a lot of these things that we're feeling in, in, yeah. in the West, it is impacting our life and it's impact, impacting our children. Like literally funding wars or mm-hmm. my children being taught transgenderism, um, my children losing their Arabic, like that is actual impact. Whereas the brewery, whereas the concerts, honestly, as point. long as I can stay away with it, I don't like it, man. But no, I get what you're saying. Allah I, I guess my fear, Abdullah, is this, is that right here, when you see these things happening, a lot of times there is this sense of, oh, these are them. They do this stuff, right? They mm. do this stuff. That line becomes murkier when it's within your own culture, within your own people that starts to do these things. You get my point? Like if you're hanging out with a bunch of Muslims and everyone is normalized into drinking or, you know, um, whatever it is, whether it's like sexual partners, all that stuff. It becomes almost natural to the point where like you don't even think twice and it becomes almost blended with your identity as a Muslim or as an Arab, whatever you might consider yourself culturally, that you lose that sense of right from wrong or that the ability to discern right from wrong because it's so normalized or standardized. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm more afraid of that. Like if the overwhelming majority now starts to attend these concerts, it almost becomes like, oh, that's just what Muslims do. We attend concerts. You get my point? Look, look, okay, but I just looked it up. So Egypt, for instance, yeah. I think everybody would consider Egypt a Muslim country. Now, we yeah. know they have a Christian population, but Egypt does have breweries and they do have concerts. 100%. But we do see that Egypt has one of the best Islamic schools. We see that they have a lot of hotels. That's also true, yeah. It's still a very respectable area. So I think what these countries are trying to do, they're trying. They're not... There's just thinking about dunya, man. It goes back to the topic of why are these rulers not... You know, standing up and you know doing better for the Muslim Ummah. I think mm-hmm. they just they just care about this dunya too much. Yeah, that um, makes sense. That makes total sense. I mean, that's that's a fair point. At the end of the day, right? I mean, look, at the end of the day, they are still doing some good. There's no doubt about that. They are still giving a lot of money to our brothers and sisters in Palestine. They are the ones who are building their hospitals, especially if you look at like Kuwait and Qatar, for example, like. Qatar was one of the ones who who got that uh, humanitarian pause even established to begin with, right? Like they were the ones who were mediating. So, alhamdulillah, like they are still doing way more than, you know, the damage that the West is doing. No doubt about that. Um, but all this to say that, like, to answer your question, which was really what sparked this conversation, if a brother wants to move there, like, I don't see anything wrong with that by all means, because the reality is it's still better when you look at it, you know, coin to coin apples to apples with this western world and how things are becoming from the western world side of things no doubt about it but it is it is things to consider and it is something that you have to always keep in the back of your mind for your children as you're going you know you have to definitely keep that in mind to, to like protect them from that um all right so let's move on to the next Yo, have you here. seen this yeah have, i just want to show you this have you seen Go this because we're talking about like dunya, but a, every a time video? i see yeah yeah i'm sharing it live Every time I see scenes out of Japan, man, I just think of this was the, did you hear about the shaking the the, the earthquakes happening this, this morning? This is today. I heard like something about a tsunami. 
Yeah, yeah. So they have like a major tsunami warning, seven point five magnitude earthquake. Um, literally videos of yo. Look how much they were like. If it's kind of like this is scary stuff. And imagine you're just shopping around and your car is literally doing this stuff. Yeah, man, that's scary. That's, that's, There's that's even videos of yeah. Look at this here. Let me see. Hey, that's destruction, man. There's videos where the earth is split open. But bro, like. I don't know, man. That's some scary stuff. And Japan has this stuff often, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's one of those countries that experiences a lot. I think Indonesia is another one of them. There's a few of these countries, Panala. I don't know if it's because they're like on a tectonic plate or something like that. Uh, but they really do experience a lot of landslides, a lot of earthquakes. It's kind of get up, but it's scary. It, it definitely is scary. But shout out to my uh, Japanese peeps, man. They've been they've been standing strong with with Gaza, man. I've seen these like protests actually? happening. Yeah, honestly, I didn't know. lots and lots of them. Really, really uh, great turnout on some of them. Like it's there. It seems to me like these people, uh, you know, subhanAllah, they've suffered a lot too, right? With like, and I know they 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 were the opponents, let's say, to the Western world. But what happened in uh, Nagasaki was it in in Hiroshima, right? Like, you can't justify that. You know what I mean? Like, literally, can't justify that. Let's panic it up. Like, it's just the amount of destruction, the amount of like permanent destruction over time. Like these guys have also been. Um, unfortunately on the other side of, of destruction as well, where I think maybe because of that, perhaps they've seen it and they, they don't want that for anyone else. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it really is something else. I think people go through there was a nice quote. There is a quote I read recently uh, about this stuff. Um, it says the, the West are technological giants, but they're moral midgets. Yeah, it's true. It's so true. Honestly, man. I love that. That's, that's really true. hundred percent. Bro, morality is, is is busted, right? Like, this is the problem with secularism overall. You know, we were talking about that a, a few days ago. But, you know, what ended up happening with this whole idea of secularism is it separated values from facts. Before, a lot of this stuff was literally one and the same. You know, any, any fact that you knew came with a, a set of values, right? Even in Islam, that's what we're taught, like, Right? Like teach us, uh, like increase us in knowledge, teach us that which is beneficial and benefit us from that which we learn. So all of this to say that um, back in the days, like even knowledge was of two types. You had beneficial knowledge and non-beneficial knowledge. There was a value attributed to that knowledge. People wouldn't just learn about anything. Like for example, non-beneficial knowledge, like you want to know, uh, you know, what's happening in the world. So you you follow, I don't know, sp random stuff, whether it's sports, whether it's, you know, celebrities' lives on, on Insta or whatever the case may be. Nowadays, it's all at your hand. Back in the days, if you looked at those things, people would consider that like non-beneficial knowledge. You're, you're, you're literally dealing with something that you shouldn't be dealing with. Just let it go, right? Because of secularism, it's separated the two. People don't know the difference between the two anymore. People lost the difference between the two, and that's unfortunate. That's a very big deal. And it's, it's same goes with business. Same goes with anything. I mean, look, look, bro. Like, once again, you know, on the topic of Zionism, who's the owner of, of the biggest, like, porn site right now? It's just a rabbi, right? Yeah, it's a rabbi, literally. But imagine a sheikh owning. Imagine, bro. Imagine. Imagine that the controversy that would happen in the world, right? So this, and once again, this is because Zionism as a whole is literally like a secular religion or a secular uh, ideology overall it's not real judaism 
most Jewish people will tell you that. It's not actual Judaism. A lot of them are actually atheists. They don't even believe in God. It's secularism. And it separates that. And that's why it doesn't matter to them. You know, uh, <laughs> there was uh, Imam Tom uh, Fakini who said that. Like, he's like, that's why it doesn't matter which hole you put it in, right? Like, that's literally what it is. It's because of the fact that, whatever, it's, it's just a hole at the end of the day. There's no, you know, value attributed to it. It's, it's, it's the same thing right now that we're dealing with. So, Unfortunately, the that secularism is is the problem with a lot of this stuff. Unfortunately, does this tie know. into separation of state and church? Definitely, hundred percent. That's literally where it started. That's literally exactly how it started. These this is a colonialist thinking because they didn't like religion and the effects of religion. They resorted to essentially separate anything that's value from fact, and everything is just knowledge now, right? Everything is just. Nice to know, and it doesn't matter. Like it's whether it's useless, whether it's beneficial. A lot of these things. That's what we have. What we're having right now with gender. Gender is just a spectrum. It's not real anymore. There's no value attributed to it. Family is just a spectrum. It's not real anymore. There's no value attributed to it. Marriage is just a spectrum. It's not real. There's no value, and and the list goes on and on and on. That's the dangers of secularism. This is where it all started. Well, from. the uh, like okay, some I don't know if it's just me, man, but sometimes I feel like. Well, prove it to me that this is why it's so dangerous. Like, I need to quantify it. And for me, one of the most obvious ways was during COVID, man, when shelves were empty and people were hoarding like animals. And today yeah. I saw this clip of people hoarding the weirdest thing, man. Look at this, bro. It's probably a cup. It's like a tumbler, right? What is that, Target? Yeah, it seems like it's Target. It's Target. It's probably on special, like yeah. maybe like half off or maybe it's a dollar for instead of 10 yeah. bucks. But bro, like they're grabbing, they're like animals, guests. man. What, what, is, what is happening? Stanley, and I remember Stanley in COVID, Tumblr. this was the case, but for everything, shelves were empty everywhere. Bro, and yeah. last year, I don't know if I told you the story, but last year uh, when the storm hit Montreal, we, like our house was out of power for five days. Yeah. The first day, and it was on Ramadan, the first day, did I tell you? What, when you, uh, the drive-thru was it? Bro, I go through the drive-thru. I wait 40 minutes. Everyone's getting their food through the drive-thru. And the inside also has people. The inside is packed. I get to the window. Um, everybody in front of me was getting food, man, for 40 minutes. I get to the window. She's like, oh, we're not serving anybody any more food in the drive-thru. I'm like, I just waited for 40 minutes. She's like, you got to come down. I'm like, why would I come down? Like, I spent 40 minutes here. I'm oh, That's ridiculous. Like, I'm not going to go to the back of the line. And as I'm talking to her... She closes the window and you see somebody from the back like, hey, this guy is trying to get food. And like everybody's like ganging up on me from inside the store. And it's this weird thing where it's like the store people versus the drive through people. There's this like feud. <laughs> this is so pathetic. I drive to Costco. Bro, I swear. It was like one day. Wallahi, the power was out for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, I get to uh, Costco. So I drive from Wendy's to Costco. I'm like, fantastic. Let me just go get fries or something from their food court. The food is done at Costco. The shelves are empty. Well, this is the first day. Bro, this was like the biggest reminder of COVID. And then I think even gas was out. So I filled up my car as much as like when, when I could. And then, yo, the next day we were just out. We went to Ottawa. We like we drove oh, two hours. We went to my family's place. They didn't have troubles there. But it's just like, yeah, when the separation of state and church or when you separate your values from uh, reality, we all become freaking animals, Monsters, primates. Literally. That look, yeah. compare that to what's happening in Gaza, bro. You've seen these videos where these guys don't even have food for themselves, for their own families. And they're still finding a way to scrape a little bit and give some to those who, you know, came late or 
weren't able to get a jug of water because, you know, they ran out of water or whatever the case may be. Bro, it's baffling. There's this little kid who's walking around. He can't find food. Some guy gives him a little bit of his. And I'm sure he's got a yeah. whole bunch of family members who are, they themselves starving. But that's how they think. Because they haven't been secularized. That's why they are so strong. When you look at the West, bro, we are so secularized. We've become individualistic. We don't even know what family means. Where our own families are destroyed. Where we don't even look at each other like we should. We don't treat each other with the respect that we should. We don't give each, give each other the time and, 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 and the, the attention that we should be giving each other. That's so unfortunate. And this is the literally the war of two different worlds. This is literally what Israel is. They're also secularized to the point where I'm sure they would they would stab each other in the back the next day if they needed to. And that's literally what one of the guys was talking about, right? When he was talking about like how and why Muslims are so popular is because of the fact that they have Allah. And that's why, you know, he was talking about the the, the Palestinians. Uh, they're, they're such as, you know, Allah is a main player on the battlefield. While as for them, he was saying as for Israelis, he's always going to be a secondary or a third party player. And that's why they're always going to be winning the Palestinians because he said in Allah Masabirun, right? That Allah is with those who are patient. That's why they're able to stay in the tunnels for months on end because they've been, they've been so adapted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They haven't been secularized to that point. They're so, they're so entrenched in those values. And that's why I'm, I'm scared of, you know, going back to what we we're talking about earlier about the middle East and the secularization of the middle East. That's why I'm scared about it because when you start doing that, what ends up happening is literally just that. You start losing those values. You start taking those things for granted. And you become a shell of a Muslim that you're supposed to be. You become a shell of a believer that you're supposed to be. Right? It's it's scary stuff, bro. And that, that's it's unfortunately really ramping up, like especially in the Middle East, right? In fact, even McDonald's, bro. McDonald's in Malaysia, they were suing the BDS movement. The BDS movement for a million dollars in damages. Just because they were whining because of the losses. Bro, you did it. You made a deal with the devil. That's your fault. You made a deal with the devil. You made a deal with an unethical business. That's your fault. And you know, they're gonna say, oh, whatever, you know, it's like it's just business. Why are you why are you taking it out on someone? Just like business goes up and down, people lose like a stock goes up and down, you lose your stock, you you halas, you say bismillah, you move on. You don't start crying a river and you start suing all these people just because, like. Unless there is legitimately like a, a, a reason for that, like corruption. But this is literally anti, anti-corruption. This is people exercising their right to buy or not buy whatever they want. And some people want to dictate that. I don't care if you're under a freaking Islamic rule or anything. You can't force someone when it comes to mu'amalat like that. You can't. If they want to wear a red shirt, you can't tell them, no, you, have, you have to wear a green shirt. You have to eat at McDonald's. You have to do this. No, you can't. You just can't. That's mu'amalat. In, in like 32 states, it's illegal to boycott. Israel, Israel, you can boycott USA, you can't boycott Israel. It's illegal. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous, man. And and that's the thing, bro. Like, I don't know, man. The the the, the thoughts of that for me is is baffling. I mean, look, the states we already know, right? It's very clear. It's it's controlled by Zionists. Talk about Muslim countries are supposed to be representative of Islamic values and so on and so forth. We're supposed to be better than that. You know what I mean? So it's so sad that we're stooping to those to those levels of low. For dunya, like dunya gains, literally things that won't benefit us in our akhirah, things that are legitimately harming our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. That's unfortunate to me. That's really unfortunate to me. Aside from that, I mean, you know, there are there is one more, I guess, news story that we can talk about, and that's if you're down for this. But you heard about uh, Gervonta Davis becoming Muslim. 
Yes, sir. What about changes his, uh, his name to uh, Abdul Wahid? So, so what are your thoughts about this? You know, like you're seeing this happen in front of our eyes. Many, many non-Muslims are accepting Islam's in the dozens and the hundreds, literally. Uh, and some of them, even with big names, man, even with big names like him, right? I think, what is he, a featherweight, if I'm not mistaken? Or I forgot his uh, class, I'm but not sure. he's definitely like number one in his class, if I'm not mistaken. So he's, he's a big deal. Like it's not a, it's not a joke. Uh, but someone like him accepting Islam and not only that, but even changing his name. Uh, that's a huge blessing, man. Like we have Khabib, right? Who was a big, big representative. I think a lot of people probably uh, learned about Islam because of him and because of just how the, you know, the way he used to handle himself in the ring, outside of the ring and so on. What are your thoughts about pushing our youth into these, um, these facets of, of, of world, you know, kind of becoming pro athletes and representing Islam? Is that something that we should encourage is that something that we should stay away from because some of this world is also tainted with fitna? Like, what would you say to that? My perspective is I don't see parents, I don't see many successful cases where parents have pushed their child in a certain direction and it's been successful. Um, so oftentimes, in the majority of cases I've seen, parents push the child in a certain direction and the child rebels and doesn't do that. Or maybe they go down that path and they don't end up that path because they change uh, their mind or whatever it may be. Uh, my, my approach, at least with my children, is um, I want them to be accountable. So I'm trying to much more to teach them uh, how to think and have a certain mindset. Actually, we can go into something a little bit more... Um, like uh, on this topic, but there there was a brother, he messaged me uh, because he knows I'm going to Qatar. And he's like, yo, this is a good opportunity since you're going to Qatar um, to motivate your daughter who's seven to wear hijab. Like to tell her, hey, look, you should wear hijab. Um, or like just, you know, you know, make it just, it, anyways. And <clears throat> my, I guess my, my response to him wasn't, I try not to be defensive, but I tried to be more like, Look, uh, a lot of people, they've taken this approach where they will push their children to do certain things like pray, show up to the mosque with me, um, wear the hijab, etc. So for me, it's, it's, it's all good, but it com- it, oftentimes it comes down to the execution. I can't, ex- I can't actually execute on something like that properly if my relationship with my kids sucks. If my kids, uh, they're scared of me, and that's a huge yeah. one for dads, is yeah. if the kids are scared of you, anything you say to them will sound like an order. And me just telling my daughter, hey, you should wear the hijab. She'll say that as like, oh, are you commanding me? Like, as my father, that I have yeah. to wear it? Yeah. And for me, that's like, how many sisters do we know, bro? That take, take off their, put, put it on and then take it off when the parents are not around. Yeah. Or ultimately take it off when they're independent, not from their parents. A lot. Yeah, 100%. No, I, I agree with you. Look, a lot of this stuff should come from a place of love first, more than anything. Uh, and, and a sense of real identity, like real foundation, like wanting to do these things. And I know it's 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 hard to envision a seven-year-old being like, I'm down to wear hijab. You know what I mean? Like, they're still kids for a lot of them. Like, let's be real. Um, uh, sometimes we get a little bit zealous and I understand, you know, might compare ourselves to other things or other times or other people or anything like that. I think there are still practical steps that you can take to encourage that kind of behavior from a young age. You know what I mean? Like, for example, dress code, like just overall making it seem natural. Like like some some people used to do that in the past where, you know, anytime they used to go out, I, I forgot who, who the scholar was, but he would get his daughter to just like 
you know, put a scarf on her head, like not like hijab, like wrap it up and like, you know, the whole, but you just, and so it was like a habit thing. Every time they went out, especially during the winter, they would put that scarf on their head and so on and so forth to the point where it just became natural. And then it was just like, oh, whatever. That's like, that's like me wearing the hijab. Like it's really not, not a difference. Right. Uh, some, some people will do that with, uh, with their, their daughters where they like practice wearing modest clothes overall, right? Like just not wearing I don't know, short shorts or anything like that at any age. Right. Um, so imposing some sort of a dress code, I can see that being a little of a natural way to, you know, without having to say, Hey, wear this, don't wear that. Uh, it just becomes natural. Like, Hey, I like when my legs are covered because my whole life I've grown up like that. You get my point. Or I like when my arms are covered because my whole life I've grown up like that. Right. Or when I wear loose clothing because my whole life I've grown up that way. So these are practical steps. But I say that encouraging or I don't know, man. Like to me, it's like they're still seven years old. Allah alam. Like I don't know, man. I, I, I've yet to go through that. So I'm not going to speak on that myself. But I would imagine that I would also take the same approach as you, which is like make them love you, make them love the dean themselves. And then when they're ready, they'll do it. And they'll do it with love as opposed to doing it out of command or order or habit which all of these things can be destroyed over time. That's the reality. He was, uh, the, the brother was making a comparison to homework, which I think is actually a really, really, really good one. Um, he said, you know, he was trying to make the point. He's like, um, you know, uh, would you encourage your kids to do homework? And if they're not doing it, like, shouldn't you then say like, yo, do your homework. You have to do it. And that's their, that's, that's their approach. And I'm like, no, I would never do that. That's actually the opposite of what I would do. What I would first try to do is, first of all, if, if it gets to that point, then you failed up to that yeah. point. So you need Something's a drastically missing. different approach. Yeah. 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 But imagine I put in front of you the two options. I tell you, one is where you're telling your kid, do your homework and they do it. And one is where you don't even have to tell them do it. And they actually want to do it because they care about their school. I would much rather the second, man. I want my kid to go about life in the second. The second is going to have the mindset of, um, hey, if I don't do it, then it's on me. If I, if I screw up in class, if I don't get the right answer, I'm going to feel embarrassed. Yeah. And I take accountability. It's all about accountability, man. If, if they can have that. Yeah, man, that's everything. Stop. Because Stop. Um, <laughs> it's so hard yeah. to like get it right. And that's the thing, man. Like parenting, bro. Everyone thinks they're doing the best, you know, like I'm the best exactly. at being a father. I'm the best at being a mother. And look at me. I got the best tips and everything. But, bro, it's really not that simple. It's really, really not that black and white different personalities, different methodologies. And you won't know because a lot of these guys are trying it out for the first time in their lives. You don't know what the repercussions are going to be 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line, 20 years down the line. You can only hope for the best, right? That's what we're, we're all, we're all doing our best and hoping that the best comes out of it. But Alam, I am more of a believer in your approach being a more long-term, longer lasting effect wise than the other approach, which I don't feel is sustainable in the long term. That's just my opinion, right? Like, I'm never going to condemn anyone who has the opposite. Like, you do you, you know what I mean? You do your own parenting. And if it works, then inshallah khair, like, alhamdulillah, you know, beautiful. And I hope it works, you know, and I pray for 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 you that it does work. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make you successful. But that's not necessarily the approach that I think is going to work. At least same same with yeah. me, like with my children. I, I I think that to me is is definitely the same approach, definitely. So to tie it back, you're 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 talking about uh, Javante Davis and sports for kids. Honestly, many times I've told my kids, I'm like, 
you can do obviously whatever you want. Um, what I'll tell you without a doubt is that becoming an engineer, Baba was an engineer, did not like it because I didn't make a lot of money. And for me, it was important, blah, blah, blah. And I explained the logic to them because at the end of the day, like we said, like I want them to be accountable. So I told them, yeah. if you can be a sports athlete, sports athletes, there's X, Y, Z reason why it's good. There's X, Y, Z reason why it's bad. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm leaving it up to them. Like, honestly, I look at my kids. They both have different builds. I'm, I know one of them will not be able to ever do like, professional soccer and one of them will never be able to do professional wrestling just because they're built different man yeah. can they do it sure they can train um, possibly but they're they'll be fighting an uphill battle you know what i'm saying so it's like inshallah i give you the power to make your own decisions but yeah, yeah pro athlete be sick <laughs> i mean honestly yeah think about it like the amount of effect that it has on the world the reality is these are influencers we are living in a very influencer heavy society especially nowadays and it's really impossible to go back at this point. Like, we're beyond that. You know what I mean? I mean, honestly, even during the time of the Prophet Sallallahu like, Prophet Sallallahu himself was very strategic with his da'wah. Like, it wasn't just, like, anyone and everyone. There were specific key individuals that he would target because they had that influence. Just look at Musab ibn Umayr, right? Like, his, his whole thing is that he went to Medina afterwards and the amount of Muslims that came out because of him. I mean, because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but through him, right? Through his da'wah. It's an immense, immense amount. It's not a small amount. Right? I mean, so he made dua for one of the two Umars. Yeah, he for made, example, he made dua, right? right? Yeah, the yeah. Uh, and one of them was actually because he knows, yo, they're huge. Yeah, hundred percent. Right? People respect those guys. Yeah, hundred percent. Omar Al-Anu was literally is the the one who we look at like one of the best figures of Islam ever to walk on earth. And then you also have Abu Jahl, who's literally one of the worst. <laughs> and they were technically both both the Umars that that the Prophet was making uh, dua for, or at least one of them, to accept Islam, right? Subhanallah. And Allah, Allah. Okay, question that. for you. Because uh, it's more, um, this is something like immediate and it's just, it's a thing where I'm actually going through this right now. So we both play video games. I let my kids play video games as well. And yeah. um, I honestly, I don't see anything wrong with that. I prefer them playing video games and watching uh, like shows and stuff. shows. But anyways, yeah, uh, if your kids come to you and says, yo, I want to have my own gaming channel, even at six or seven, um, whether they want you to be in, in it or not, what are, what's yeah. your take on that? Look, if my child was that, so like the thing is, like it depends, right? Because you, it also is a, a product of what you allow your kids to watch and, you know, kind of uh, aspire to, right? Because you could control the environment a little bit. But if my kid was in that, like he watches streamers, like I know a lot of kids who do that. A lot, a lot of kids, that's what they literally, they spend their, instead of watching YouTube, they're watching people <laughs> like, like, yeah, be yeah, yeah, big time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's the majority of kids now. Yeah, hundred percent. When when my wife goes to school and she talks to the other moms, yeah. and when the other kids are talking together, it's always 100%. about them watching someone play 100%. every time. That's how they became that big. Like, you think Ninja just became big on Fortnite just like that? Like, no, it was literally because of the fact that this guy was a content creator geared towards kids. It was not yeah. just his play skill, like us adults being like, "Wow, he's really talented." Like, no, 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 no. he was. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of this stuff was really geared towards kids. And even the, the new guys, they're all literally creating content geared towards kids. That's why they're coming out with Lego Fortnite. You, you know what I mean? All this stuff. Like, it's literally geared towards kids. Lego is, has a huge thing. You have Pokemon. It's the same thing. All, this is, these are all geared towards kids. A lot of people create content specifically for that because there is money in that, right? So no doubt about it. Now, if my kid was consuming this and he wanted to, I mean, I would encourage it. I wouldn't, like, I, would, I wouldn't discourage him. I would try to guide him in the right way. And if he wanted to do that, I would tell him how to do it in the best way possible where he's not, you know, doing it outside of the bounds of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or pre pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And yeah, I mean, look, he might grow out of it. Who knows? Maybe he might still keep it. Who knows? Like, a lot of them. Like, we don't know where that goes. But, but you're open to it. Yeah, because there are still a lot of skills involved that he can learn. I'm looking at it more yeah. from a skills perspective, bro. Like, editing. Like, like doing all of this stuff, bro. Like, social media management. All of this stuff. It's it's a lot of work. It's not. But I would emphasize that part of it. Less so the part of the fame and the, you know. Yeah. Do you prefer ego and uh, all that stuff? your kids create or consume content? It depends what. It really depends what. I would I would say a healthy balance of both. Healthy balance of both. I, once again, like I'm I'm looking at it more like for me as an adult with my lens, right? We consume content and we also create content, both you and I, right? I find consuming content is extremely important because you won't know what type of content to create without that. In my mm. in my opinion, right? And it senses it's it, it serves as a sense of guidance in that way, like to know what works, what doesn't work, the the pitch, the you know all this stuff. Like even this podcast, right? Like we've looked at other podcasts and we've inspired ourselves, and based on that, we've created the the, the framework for this, and hopefully it's going to be successful because we're building it on other successful methods that have been employed before, right? Uh, so same goes with kids. It's like you need them to consume a little bit to know what to put out. From a so it sounds like you're prioritizing. You would you would prefer the creation, but obviously the due diligence would then be 100%. watch other people who do it well, so you can learn how to do it better. Yeah, yeah, and I would find those who do it well, who are like the cleanest and so on and so forth, just so that you can teach them. Like you see how he does this, he does this this way. It's more educational, is my point, as opposed to consuming it from a consumerism perspective. It's like a lot of people, like you know, uh, one of my guilty like guilty pleasures. I used to uh, watch wrestling like heavily, right? Uh, and I loved everything WWE. I wouldn't watch like a lot of the indie stuff. That's not what I was mainly into. But I would really consume a lot of the WWE stuff. A lot of people would look at me being like, yo, like, are you dumb? Like, you're watching a lot of like men in spandex, like, you know, wrestling each other and so on and so forth. I'm like, no, but you don't get it. That's not what I care about. That's not at all what I care about. What I actually care about is the business aspect of it. I read like I used to at least really heavily read like stories about like what goes on behind the scenes, right? How, how a decision was made, why a decision was made, uh, why this person was the, the, you know, the last of the card, like even UFC, like now I know how it works as well from the UFC side because of that. I know why they want Conor McGregor to keep returning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause the guy sells pay-per-views, he sells t-shirts, he sells all like brand deals, all of this stuff, a lot of eyeballs, etc., And he creates new stars. Like Khabib, I don't think would have ever become as big as Khabib is if it wasn't for Connor. You need a villain to create a hero, right? So it's the same concept. That's what I used to. So my point is to teach my kids not to consume things just to consume, but consume things from an educational perspective. So you're consuming responsibly. You get my point. You're not just consuming just to consume. You're consuming things responsibly in that way. So you're understanding why things are being consumed the way that they are. Not just being another cog in the wheel where you're just consuming and you're just giving the guy more money and you're not really getting any benefit out of it. Because that, in my opinion, is a waste of time, in my opinion, right? If you're just doing it like that. If you kind of tie it back to some sort of educational purpose and you make benefit derived from it, then there could be good that comes out of it. Well, Adam, does that make sense? So yeah, that's yeah. why like, I wouldn't discourage him. Like, I think there is benefits there. Like putting a video together. Uh, knowing how to, uh, you know, all this stuff, like all the editing. It's, it's a it's a core skill that we need nowadays, to be honest. How involved would you want to be? Definitely very involved. 
hundred percent. Because it is very dangerous to to let them do their own thing, especially in this world. But there's there's a lot of really bad players, commenters, yeah. people who like enter these like children's DMs or whatever it is. You, you know, like we live in a very disgusting world, bro. There are really negative players that way. They ha- you have to be involved. You can't just let them, you know, trust them and. You don't want to do that disservice to your kids. You mean, uh, you mean like, like that guy, movie? Marsh guy, <laughs> that guy right there, be a part of my family, <laughs> right? Like oh, I wouldn't bro, want him so to creepy, like man. slide in anyone's DMs, being like, "Yo, hey kid, I really like your content. You know, I really enjoy your smile." Loves, and who knows what happens kids. from there, bro? It's scary. He's so good with kids. Yeah, sorry, I know he is. He they, just looks like they really are so freaky. good with kids. And deranged. He looks literally like he can be a joker, like legit, like he can be a potential joker actor. Like that's what he looks like. He's deranged. It's scary, bro. It's really scary. Like, anyways, it is what it is. Awesome. All right. Well, we're at the uh, hour and forty minutes. I don't know if you want to call it Abud, uh, but I think we're we're in a solid spot. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this, uh, Abud. Any any closing remarks you want to make? The only one that I'm gonna make is we just want you guys to share this video, share the clips if you found benefit in it. So if there was benefit, we want you to share. We don't want you to comment, like, subscribe, none of that. If, if you want to do that, go ahead. But we really would appreciate sharing the clips because the larger the channel becomes, the more people watch it, the, more, the better the guests we can have on. And that's our intention. Inshallah, we have a huge guest coming in February. We'll announce it in the next podcast. Um, but yes, like uh, that discussion will be incredible. We have a lot of guests planned, but obviously the more people we have sharing, um, the more our channel can grow and the better the guests, inshallah, the better the content. It's very awesome. So you guys heard it right here. I want to wish you guys a wonderful rest of the week. Inshallah, we'll catch you guys next week if all goes well. Abud, safe travels, inshallah, to uh, Qatar. Uh, to and uh, we'll catch you next time. Assalamu alaikum.